Amen. Michael B. Kelly in the back is the guy who does the, has been doing those readings through our poetry, epic poetry series. So thank you, Mike. Great job. I told him it's not like he's coming up with his own stuff, though. I mean, he's, he's got good material, right? <laughs> well, the numbers are starting to come in, and it's becoming more and more clear that 2020 affected us in some pretty significant ways. The amount of mental health issues rose. In fact, over 21% of people identified that mental health was a real issue during COVID. Well, we know that that has probably touched even more people, but those are the ones who identified, who self-reported that. This matter of mental health has a lot of, uh, I'll use the word tentacles, it reaches out into a lot of areas, but one of those areas that it does touch is this area of psychosis, of what is reality, of not seeing reality for what it is. Now, in the mental health industry, that is identified in some very specific ways. That is not my area of expertise. But what is my area of expertise is what happens when reality is not grasped from a spiritual standpoint. So I'm talking about spiritual health now. So for much of the health industry, uh, when someone is sick, there is often medication for them. But what does that look like spiritually for us? What, What do we... What do we take for medication? Is there medication for us? I want to make a suggestion to us uh, that God is identified as the great physician, but he's not just the great physician. He's also the great medication. In other words, this great physician who is God prescribes himself for us to take. And the vehicle, the way that we receive that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that gospel in a little bit more detail as we walk through this together. We're going to be in Psalm 73. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. As always, uh, we have some Bibles in the back. You're welcome to use one of those if you like it uh, in, uh, in written form. Uh, you like the, the hardbound Bibles, we have those back there. Uh, if you say, ah, I got my phone, uh, I'll just use that, that is fine. Again, my step of faith, I'm trusting that that's actually what you're doing is using it for uh, the Bible. So with that in mind, I do want to spend some time in prayer before we jump into this passage and deal with some, some hard matters. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you. It is epic. And we thank you, Lord, that it also is epic because it has the ability to help us to see what really matters, to take our eyes off of ourself, to see reality, reality. And that reality, Lord, is you. And as we see you uniquely, our point of view changes from perspective to the reality that matters, living a life that matters. I also recognize even today, Lord, that, that for many of us, we, we have been sick because of spiritual health matters. In other words, sin. And so, Lord, I pray that even today, we would take that prescription that is given by you, our great physician, 
and we would apply it to our lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be able to see not just uh, what matters and not, not just see you in all of this, but also to get healthy spiritually, that we would honor you with our lives and that you would be glorified. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. The word reality is defined this way. The world or the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to an idealistic or uh, notional idea of them, as they actually exist. Well, how would we know how things actually exist? Well, that was a part of Asaph's concerns as well in Psalm chapter or Psalm 73. The Psalms are broken into three or five different books, rather. This is the third book that we'll be looking at. And this third book, uh, which is the second Psalm of Asaph, starting in 73, uh, we're, we're going to see things get a little bit dark. He's, he's going to have a little bit of a dark perspective as we start to look at things. What should you know about Asaph? Well, you should know this, that he is a worship leader. He's a worship leader in Jerusalem in the sanctuary of God. He's a, a Levite. He comes from uh, the family of Levi, the tribe of Levi, and um, he has a unique perspective that he's going to share. You would think that Asaph, because of his unique perspective, you would think that he would always be pushing us towards God. He would, he would just be focused all the time, laser-centered, but he's not always. And sometimes there are issues, sometimes there are concerns, sometimes there are distractions, and even somebody who is a professional worshiper of God can get off center. And we'll see that as we walk through this passage together, identifying three questions Asaph is going to address. The first one is this, what is reality? He's going to come out of the gate and he's going to tell us, here's, here's what reality is. This is where our attention needs to be. We need to recognize this reality. He's going to tell us what that is. But then Asaph is going to meander a little bit. His point of view is going to change from reality to perspective. His perspective on things. And then is going to shift again. Something is going to happen and it's going to shift again. And his perspective, his point of view rather, is going to change from perspective back to reality. And we'll see how this all works together as we walk through this passage. Chapter 73 of the Psalms. Let's jump right in. What is reality? Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. We already identified who Asaph is. He starts with this emphatic statement. The word truly is going to point to what comes next. What comes next is God is good. Here's reality. The reality is God is good. We used to say this in churches all the time. Maybe you did too. We'd say, God is good, and people would respond all the time. And then we'd say, and all the time, God is good. Well, that's a reality that a soft points us to, but it's more than just informational. It's living it out. So it's easy to say God is good when you're wealthy, when there's plenty in the fridge, when you're healthy, when good relationships abound in your life, like, yes, God is good. Look at all this. But what happens 
when you lose your job? Well, what happens when relationships go south, they go bad? What happens when your health goes bad? Is God still good or does that change? Well, Asaph is telling us God is good. And then he's going to direct that goodness. As a worship leader in Jerusalem, he's going to say, he says it this way, that God is good to Israel. And then he says, to those who are pure in heart. Well, remember that we're talking about Old Testament, so Jesus hasn't come. He's not gone to the cross yet, right? They're anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, but from a soft vantage point in chapter 73 of the Psalms, Jesus uh, hasn't gone to the cross yet. So what are the pure in heart? Who are they? Well, we're going to make that leap a little bit, uh, a little bit later in the sermon. Uh, at the end of the psalm. So hang in there with me as we walk this path together. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then the point of view is going to change. It goes from the point of view of reality to perspective. And Asaph says it this way. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Well, the, the context of this passage lets us know that, yeah, pro, mm, prosperity is probably a good word. The word is shalom. It's like this, this full body peace that they're experiencing. And he's going, wait, this doesn't seem fair. How is it that the arrogant, how is it that, uh, that those who are wicked Good things happen to them. Asaph says, because that was true, because that was my perspective, because that's what I saw, my foot almost slipped. I, I almost left where I was standing. As a, a lead worshiper, as the one who is leading Israel in worship, I almost slipped from that position. Because I saw some arrogant people, I saw some wicked people, and it just seemed like everything was great in their life. And he goes on. From his perspective, the wicked win, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. By the way, that's a compliment in, in the Bible. Uh, so if they said, oh, look at you, you're, you're fat, they would say, what they're really saying is, look at how prosperous you are. Look, you, God has been good to you and has provided in abundance, and you've participated. Like, that, just so you know, that's not as big of a compliment now, uh, so, so we won't use that. But number five, verse five, they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind, therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Again, they're just identifying the abundance of what they have. And that they've gotten it through wicked gain. Like They were willing to oppress others. It's going to become more and more clear in just a moment. And it seems like, from a soft vantage point, the wicked win. And maybe you've been in a similar spot where it seems like people who don't love the Lord, who don't care about things of God, just really seem successful. Because, In fact, maybe there's even something in your heart that goes, I wish I could be like that. Wow, I wish I had those things. I wish I didn't have the burden of all of the things that I have the burden of. It seems like the wicked win. He goes on to say, 
They scoff and speak with malice loftily. They threaten op- oppression. So it's not just that they have an abundance. They're willing by any means necessary to get it. And if that comes by oppression, then it comes by oppression. And everything seems good with them. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? So these wicked, these arrogant, these prideful who seem to be uh, winning, (laughs) who seem to have everything, well, they even question God. In other words, they're They're putting themselves above God. I think maybe I know better than he does. Look at everything I have and how good my life is. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease. They increase in riches. And then Asaph is going to look at that data and come to a short-term conclusion from his perspective. And that's that it's just not worth it. And, And maybe you've been there. Or you said, sometimes I I just wonder if it's worth it. And perhaps that's partly because of our perspective. I'll give you an example. When I was in eighth grade, I started to become interested in things of God. But I became interested in things of God because I, I, I wanted the fruit of those things. Here's an example. My prayer went something like this as an eighth grade boy. Not that there's anything wrong with 8th grade boys, but as this 8th grade boy, this was my prayer. God, I will follow you and obey you, but would you just make me better at basketball? I know it was a real deep prayer. And I'll tell you, I committed myself. I started memorizing scripture, and I started reading the scripture. And the more I memorized, and the more I read, guess what? I did terrible. (laughs) And I... I concluded this at that time as an eighth grade boy. Well, God, if you're not going to do what I want, then what good is it to follow you? As if God were some sort of genie that I rubbed the lamp and said, hey, do these sorts of things for me. This is the perspective that Asaph has at this moment of look at how successful they are. And I've been following you, and I don't know that it's worth it. All in vain. By the way, this is the second time that this emphatic statement is there. Like, okay, all. Everything after that word is like emphasized. It's all in vain. I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. He's like, the harder I tried, the harder it became. The more I wanted to follow you, the more difficult it was. The more oppression I got from those who are wicked, those who seem like everything is just hunky-dory in their life, and that's not fair. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Let me pause there. He's, he's saying this. If while I was walking in that slippery spot, I would have told the children of Israel these things, I would have betrayed them. It would be like uh, Joel Farber, who's our worship pastor. It'd be like him up here playing and, and uh, uh, playing his guitar and going, 
I'm not really sure why we're singing this because I don't know that it's really even worth it, but let's go ahead and give it a try. Like, no, that would be terrible. That would betray our whole point in being here. And that's what Asaph is saying. Like, you know, I I see these wicked. I see that they're uh, succeeding. I see that it seems like they're at peace with how they're going about it. And they're being horrible to people. They're oppressing others to get what they want. And I just don't even know if it's worth it. And if I would have said that, I would have betrayed your people. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Now watch the transition. This is how his perspective changes, or rather his point of view changes from his perspective to reality. And he says it this way, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He went into the sanctuary of God, that place where God is worship, that place where he's leading praises. But that's not the only thing that happens there. There are sacrificial things that are happening, people giving alms towards others. There are animal sacrifices that are occurring that uh, people have to, to, to either raise up these animals or purchase these animals at great sacrifice. There's a lot of noise in those places. Why? Because God is important and God is to be praised. And in that place of worship, Asaf's eyes are, are shifting from his perspective to reality. What's reality? That God is good. And that God is not just good, but God is good to him. And he's willing to receive that uniquely, and that happens in this place of worship. That God is good to him. I wonder if you've ever considered that, that God is good to you. That the scriptures are true. All things work together for the good of those who love him, there's the qualifier, and are called according to his purpose, his purpose. God is good. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And look at the reality that he discerns from that place of worship. Truly, again, uh, the emphatic here, truly you set them in slippery places. He's saying, I thought everything was great, but actually they're in a slippery place. I thought my foot was going to slip. They actually are going to slip. You make them to fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And then he looks back at himself. It's not just everybody else. (laughs) It's also Asaf, this worship leader, this person who leads others in worship. He sees that he has fallen short as well. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, let me just pause there because there's, a few things that are happening in this specific passage. He's addressing both his emotion and his intellect. He realizes his emotions are off and his intellect is off, and they've been pierced. What have they been pierced by? The reality. And he sees how he's really responded in all of this. I was brutish. That's a word associated with cattle. It's like, I was like this animal out in the field that is just eating and chewing its cud, unaware of the world that's going on around them, unaware of all the complications of the world going on, unaware of all of the decisions that need to be made for the good. I'm just like, I'm, I'm just like a, a 
cattle out in the field chewing my cud, ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. I was ignorant toward you. I didn't get it. Then again, it changes, and he identifies God cares for me. Nevertheless, while I was like that animal, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Like, like, yep, yep. Son, you don't get it. It's okay, though. I love you. And he's got him by the hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. This is what Asaph understands when he's in the place of worship with God. Things go back into focus. His point of view shifts from his perspective on the world around him back to the reality the world or the state of things as they actually exist. What is that reality? That God is good. He's good to the pure in heart. And that God actually is the goal. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is worth it. For behold, those who are far from you, shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. He's, he's my safety. Like I can hide in him, like we talked about last week, that I may tell of all your works, because he wants to go back to reality. Asaf starts with what is reality, his point of view shifts to his perspective and what's going on in the world around him as he comes back to the place of worship, it goes back to reality and specifically to God. In view of God, everything else becomes uh, more understandable. The fate of the wicked, but also the stance that he has been making and then the reality of his future. So as we talked about this, we, we mentioned that, okay, this, this is in the Old Testament, but what do we do now? We're not going to take sacrifices to the temple. We're, we're not going to worship quite like that. In fact, that's already been done for us. That's what Jesus did. Uh, that's part of his work on the cross, that, that he was willing to die in our stead, that he was willing to extend life to us, that he rose from the grave and that he's coming again. And with that in mind, I want to talk to us about the gospel because that's the, that's the instrument that delivers this prescription that is Jesus. The gospel is the instrument that delivers the prescription that is Jesus. So not only is God the great physician, the doctor, but he writes a prescription. And that prescription is given to us and the prescription is himself. So let's talk about the gospel. Sometimes there's confusion. We'll talk about the gospel in church, and people will say things like, the gospel, I think that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Oh, yeah, those are the books of the gospel, the good news. But the gospel is something very specific that we're talking about. It's, it's worth us understanding because it's not just salvation for this like one-time prayer. Oh, yeah, I heard the gospel. I received the guy, responded to Jesus. That's great. No, the gospel is for us every day. Like, the prescription never changes. It's always Jesus, and the instrument that it's delivered on is always the gospel. So with that in mind, let's talk about the gospel. I'm a sinner. 
uh, Romans, it's not just me, you are too, okay? Uh, Romans 3.23, the wages, or I'm sorry, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have. I have, you have, we all have. Not just us here today, but everyone in the world who uh, exists currently, everyone in the world who has existed, and everyone in the world who will exist. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every one of us. And, and so what does that mean? Well, that means we can't save ourselves. This is the bad news. To have good news, we have to have bad news. The bad news is we've fallen short. We're all sinners. What's the good news? There is a Savior. What else is the good news? It's not us. It's, what else is the good news? It's not, also, it's not something that we can have. Like, I can't be rich enough to get it. Uh, I can't pay for it. I can't inherit it through my family line. Uh, that's not where we receive this Savior. But it's found, in, it's found in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who came in the flesh. He is the one who is worthy. He is the one who loves us enough, enough to do just that, to come in the flesh. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and it's not me, and it's not you, but it is Jesus, God in the flesh. Also, God gave his life so that I can have life. I love the way that Galatians 1.4 says it. Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age of evil. 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way. Christ also suffered once for sins, righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So we inherit this life through Christ himself. And it's an eternal life. And it begins now. And it goes through eternity, experienced even beyond this reality because there is a reality and it is that God. And that God is good. And that God is good to the pure in heart. And that God who is good to the pure in heart realizes that we're not pure in heart and that he's going to have to pay a price. And as he pays that price, he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. When I trust him, I experience that. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called the children of God. And it is a receiving like, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to save me. Save me. And that may be the first prayer that you really make as your step of faith in receiving Jesus. But I'll tell you, as a believer who's been doing this for a while, it is daily. God. I'm a sinner and I need you to save me, rescue me in this place. That I would see you, that I would go from this perspective of the temporal and look to the eternal and see reality for it is, for what it is. But the gospel doesn't end here. The gospel continues on. Are you ready? He's coming again. Boy, let's not forget this. This is an important piece of our faith. It's one of the things that really uh, separates us and makes us to stand out as Christians. We have an expectation of his return. Why do we expect that? Because he said he would. That's why. Everything in Scripture so far has come true. Why would I think that the few passages that mention this wouldn't? That would be ridiculous. And so let me share a few passages with you, if you don't mind, about Jesus coming again John 
14.3, Jesus says it this way, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. He also says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The angels said in Acts, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Paul tells us in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Jesus revealed it to the revelator in Revelation 22. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is coming again, and it's a part of this gospel that we can share that gives us life, that helps us to go from perspective to reality. And I would encourage you to receive it. As we look through Psalm 73, we see this movement that Asaf wants us to know what is reality. Uh, not just that, but Asaf, I'm, he's a person just like us, and he helps us to recognize that sometimes we're caught off guard. Right? We, we, we put our focus on things that are temporal, that, that don't matter eternally. And in that, it may seem like the wicked win. In that, it may seem like it's not worth it. But when we recalibrate by spending that time in worship, by coming back to God, our perspective changes to reality. And in that place, we see that the wicked fail. We see that we ourselves fall short that God cares for us, that God is the goal, and that God is worth it. So keep it up. Keep following him. Keep pushing through. As the worship team comes out and we transition to a time of communion, I, I want to ask a few questions. I I'd like to spend just a few moments on this as we prepare our hearts for communion. First of all, do we envy the wicked? Is our attention more on the temporal than it is on the eternal? Are we focused on our perspective or on reality? Do I envy the wicked? Do I question my faith in unhealthy ways? Uh, now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't question our faith. Absolutely. Why do I believe what I believe? We should know that. We should wonder on that. We should check that. We should be reminded of that. But there are also some unhealthy things that we can do where we just keep in this spiral that keeps us from taking the steps of faith that we need to take. Is, uh, is my questioning of my faith in an unhealthy place? Thirdly, am I living in my perspective or reality? Am, am I so a part of I'm the center of my world and what really matters in me is me? Now, maybe we wouldn't use those words, but in practice, that's exactly what's happening. Four, is my attention fixed on others, what they have or what I don't have? And then fifth, how can I better fix my eyes on God? How can I better fix my eyes on God? For Asaf, he points us to worship, to spending time in the sanctuary of God with others, recognizing who he is, that he actually is good. Despite what's happening around us, he is good.
as we transition to a time of communion, I want to remind you of a few things. First, that you don't, you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church to participate in communion. But we do ask that you've received Jesus as your Savior. That seems to be clear in Scripture. Secondly, that you take some time to examine your heart. Those five questions help lead us into that examination of our hearts. And I would also add another step, and that is if there is a need for repentance, that we be quick to repent. And that might look like this. I, I have kept my perspective on the temporal and the world around me, and it has kept me from following the Lord. And so, uh, in, in a moment of conviction and recognizing the truth, what reality is, I'm turning from that path, and I'm turning to God. And I'm confessing that. Lord, that was sin. Forgive me. And we know that as we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. At Friendship, one of the ways that we practice communion is that we'll come to the carpeted areas and go to the station near us, uh, get both the elements, and then return in the outer aisle to our seats, wait for everyone to be served, and then uh, after the next worship song, we participate together. And so as you uh, feel the freedom as, after you've walked through some of those questions and examine, ask the Spirit of God to examine your heart and you feel free to get that, uh, go ahead and, and grab both elements. Join me as we pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. We thank you, Almighty God, that you are good. And even as Asaf reminded us today, that you are good to those who are pure in heart and that you yourself is the one who makes us pure. We receive that, Lord, by this gospel, that we're sinners in need of a savior, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you conquered sin and death, that you rose from the grave and you give life to anybody who would call on you and you are coming again. And we celebrate that together even now. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, let us be quick to repent as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.